0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the detox podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And on today's episode, I had the pleasure of welcoming back Dallas's own WFAA sports anchor Dale Hansen to the show. We talk about Dale's decision to retire after a long and storied career in broadcasting. We talk about some of his most noteworthy moments, such as moving to Dallas, such as deciding to report on stuff a little bit different, high school sports, and then weaving our day-to-day life and politics into sports uh, back in 1986 with the SMU story. So a lot of great decisions, and then also what he hopes his legacy will be. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Before we get started, I do want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Snuffy. Snuffy's a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And also by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. Toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, if this is your first time coming to the show, welcome. We hope that you are able to kick back, relax, and just detox from the world around you for the next little bit. Uh, And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. We are so excited that you are here for another great episode. Now, If you like the show and you want to support it, there's a couple ways to do that. First, you can subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Second, you can rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And three, you can share the podcast with a friend. Word of mouth really helps out small podcasts like this one. So without further ado, my conversation with the wonderful Dale Hansen is right up after this. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw and I host the music podcast After the Encore. After the Encore is a long form, career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists. Musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, and Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, or even artists that were featured on the TV show, The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to the detox podcast with me at this time. I'm so excited to have him back on the show. It is Dallas's own Dale Hansen. Dale, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good today. Doing very good today.
0: I am excited to have you on the show. We've had you on to talk about parenting. We've had you on to talk about how to make the world a better place. Um, And I am excited to talk to you today about your career uh, in broadcasting. You announced that you're retiring, you're stepping away, you're handing the baton on to someone else, so to speak. And so I really wonder if you would do us the honor of just walking us through some key moments in your career, what you're most proud of, and then kind of what you are excited for your, what you hope others see your legacy as. So if we could talk about, maybe start at at your transition coming into Dallas, what was that time period and what was that like for you?
1: Well, coming to Dallas was kind of a shock. Uh, uh, I got got fired in Omaha, Nebraska, my first CD job at, at KMTV in Omaha. And uh, I I was um, working with a headhunter out of New York City, a woman named Shirley Barish. And she calls me at home and she said, I've got a job uh, interview for you in Dallas. And and I said to her, Dallas, Texas? A little more profanely than this, how many Dallases do you know? (laughs) And I thought, well, it just didn't seem possible. Uh, I mean, it really uh, didn't seem possible. And... I haven't told many people this, but I told Brad Sham this a a, a while back. I was driving to Dallas and I'm coming down Interstate 35 and I'm picking up all the radio stations and I'm listening to Brad Sham uh, on KRLD radio. And he was doing uh, the the football writers roundtable, they called it, And I swear to you, I almost turned around. Um, It it was such an incredible show um, with, with, with these football writers that were funny and informative and clever and smart Alec and brad had this great control of the radio microphone and i really did i thought yeah i think we're in the deep end of the pool now um we we've literally jumped into the deep end of the pool right and i'm not sure i can swim um but but it's worked out okay but um it it was a it was a bit of a culture shock Um uh, uh, to find myself going from Omaha, Nebraska to Dallas, Texas.
0: Sure. Now, how did you start to stake out your own unique presence in Dallas, knowing that, you know, with, with the sports bra, I mean, I guess the traditional news setup, right? You had two anchors, you had a weather person and you had a sports person. And so how did you work to make yourself stand out from what you were seeing around you?
1: Well, that's always been one of the most misunderstood uh, uh, parts of my story, I think. Uh, uh, everybody prior to my arrival, and I had done a little bit of my research. Uh, in fact, when I was interviewing for the job at at, uh, at um, KDFW, the, the CBS affiliate at the time, which is where I was hired originally, uh, before they fired me too, of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, they actually put in a tape of Vernon Lundquist, who was the the king of, of Dallas TV and radio sports, he was doing the Cowboys games on the radio. And, and obviously he got onto this un- you know, unbelievable career at CBS Sports. And, and they actually put in a tape of his sportscast and they said, can you do this? And now keeping in mind, I'm unemployed. And I looked at him and I said, I, I could, but I won't. And And they were well, like, what do you mean? I said, well, gentlemen, that's been your biggest problem. You're, you're trying to beat Vern Lundquist or even forget beating Vern Lundquist, even competing with Vern Lundquist. Right. And you're trying to do it with Vern Lundquist light. And, and why would anybody turn the dial? Why would anybody say, well, I could watch the real thing here in Vern Lundquist, or I could watch a guy who's trying to beat Vern Lundquist. Yep. And, and quite frankly, that's what most of, as Vern told me later, there were 44 sportscasters at, at, at KDFW from the time he started at, at WFAA until I showed up. There were 44 different sportscasters. They'd give them a few months. Oh, they didn't beat Burn, you out. with us try something else. It was just, it was, it was a horrible, horrible routine they were going through over and over and over. So, this great, great mentor in my life, uh, a guy named Danny Livingston, and I talk about him repeatedly, and I have for 40 years. And I always tell people, if you don't have a Danny Livingston in your life, I strongly encourage you to, to go find one because he will indeed make you better. Yeah. And he made me better. So when I came to Dallas, I said to Danny, how do I how do I even compete with Vern Lundquist?" And it wasn't about beating Vernon Lundquist, it was about competing with Vernon Lundquist and trying trying to get a piece of the pie. I'm just just trying to get a piece of the pie. Right. And it was Danny who told me go down there just like you do in Omaha, cover the high school kids. And I'm like the high school kids. I mean, it, it in a major market, like Dallas, you know, absolutely. He said, where do all the great high school athletes come from? Hmm. They come from Texas. Yep. Where do the universities want to know where the kids are coming from? Uh, the you, you, you do a story on the kid. The kid will watch the parents will watch. The grandparents will watch um, university officials. Are interested in stories about great athletes because they might be interested in recruiting them. I mean, it, it just tentacles shooting off in every direction. And I then brought high school coverage to, to Dallas, Texas, um, which was severely criticized in the beginning. And it is one of my claims to fame, if you will, that um, when I started in the summer of 1980, there was no television coverage of high school sports. Hmm. Now that I'm leaving in in 2021, every station in town has a high school special. Yep. Do they cover high school sports? They have a half hour to an hour dedicated to high school sports. Yep. And again, all because of Danny Livingston. Then you throw in a few wrinkles that I was and am a little goofy. <laughs> I like doing crazy stuff. Um, I wrestled a bear in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> um at, at at a boat show and John McKay uh not the John McKay who anchored at the at, at ABC at the ABC affiliate I worked at, but uh John McKay, a different uh John McKay was a general manager at Channel Four. And on my audition tape was me wrestling a bear. And he said uh, if I hire you, will you wrestle a bear? And I I thought, well, what what are the odds? Right. What are the odds? So I said, sure I'll wrestle a bear. Well, they found a bear. A bear came to Dallas over at the convention center. And I wrestled the bear, which became one of the uh, flash points, if you will. Yep. And what I've always believed is that you do things like that, for example, that is simply to, to, to make people aware that there's a show inside the tent. Yeah. And now, once you get them in the tent, you got to back it up and make them come back inside the tent again. Right. So all of that was somewhat gimmicky, if you will. I, I, I liked doing it. It was fun. It was crazy. But the whole concept was, and, and Vern, I think for years was was insulted by it. And I'm like, no, th- this is the highest compliment I can pay any individual. I am not even going to try to compete on your level because I know I can't win. Right. I, I know I can't do that so i am going to offer the viewer something entirely different and what always irritated me that while while the, the 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 singular goal was to to carve out a piece of the pie hopefully a pretty good piece of the pie but but never knowing how much it would actually be but but a lot of critics were, were very very vocal about what an idiot i was because i wasn't doing it like Bird was doing right and I kept trying to, to teach them, if you will, you cannot compete with Vern Lundquist by trying to be Vern Lundquist Yep. And it wasn't an insult to Vern. It wasn't um, meant in any fashion to, to demean or imply that he was wrong. It was simply meant to say, you are the absolute best at doing it that way. I'm going to offer the viewer something else, and I.E., that means high school sports that means smart aleck remarks that means uh jokes about the cowboys it also does mean cowboys highlights cowboy stories right. ball scores you know what whatever else we were doing in sports but when you came to me at channel four <coughs> excuse me i gave you something a little different and it, it seemed to um it, it, it seemed to resonate with a lot of viewers because this is something that that also offends a lot of people, but I believe from the get-go, when you look at a television audience, about 15% of that audience is what you would consider hardcore sports fans. 15%. Now, you know, another 30, 40% dabble in, well, I like the Mavericks, I like hockey, I like the Cowboys, of course, you know, whatever. Uh, And and my wife, the lovely Mrs. Hanson is the perfect example. She lives and breathes and loves the Dallas Cowboys, but she couldn't name two guys on the Rangers. Um, nor can I for that matter, but that's a, that's a whole other story. Right. Um, but she, she doesn't care much about, you know, the Dallas Mavericks. So she likes hockey in person, for example, but sure. she, she doesn't know, you know, but she, I need her as a viewer. Yeah, I can't just play to the 15%. I mean, Especially now, there was a day when, when you could somewhat get away with that, and, you know, 1980, yeah. you know, the late 70s when, you know, because when I came to Dallas, there were basically maybe four or five options on TV. Yeah, uh, there were only three stations doing uh, news, local news. It was, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, then Channel 11 kind of dipped their toe into like an independent newscast. And there was very little saturation from the cable markets and and you know now at 10 o'clock at night i'm up against seinfeld right um uh, you know movies pay-per-view 150 options uh, yeah. uh, all the cables all the the, the the internet type information that's out there um so i mean it's an entirely different beast now so the point simply being that Nineteen eighty, you could somewhat get away with appealing to just the sports audience, but I never did believe in that, and I always tried to appeal to the mass audience. Yep. And the greatest compliment that I've ever received was the hundreds and hundreds of letters that I would receive from women saying that I really like watching you because you're you're funny, uh, you never talk down to me, you you never talk over my head. You, you know, I, I, to this day, which people make fun of me for, but to this day, at least once in every story, I will refer to Jerry Jones as Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. I, I do it for everybody. Uh, Mavericks guard, Luka Doncic, former Mavericks forward, Dirk Nowitzki, mm-hmm. uh, former Cowboys coach, Jimmy Johnson. A, it takes about a second. Right. B, just in case you've moved here from Kentucky and you're not a big football fan uh you're not a big uh, basketball fan you know whatever uh when i'm doing this story i'm, I'm going to make sure you understand exactly who and why i'm talking about this person yeah and, and i've always done it that way and i and i think that enabled me to reach a segment of the audience that i think too many sportscasters um, quite honestly have, have ignored yeah uh, they just they just assume. That well, you know what I'm talking about because this is great stuff. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, Philadelphia's playing the Giants this week. There's nothing better going on in America. Right. Well, actually, there is. Yeah. Actually, there is. And and I think people, especially today, now they say, Well, you know, they don't do that on ESPN. I said, Well, no, on ESPN, you don't have to identify everybody. Yes. Because once you've made the decision to go to ESPN. Well, you've pretty much committed that hey you're into this now right you know? and i compare it to um i compare it to like listening to country radio music well you don't have to tell me who george jones is uh willie nelson uh, loretta lynn once i've committed to listening to country music you can somewhat assume that i'm i'm in right rap music rock and roll music you know whatever but in television it's different you know we don't it, it, it's working its way there. I mean, like we're Fox News and and, and MSNBC is in. Now we're starting to tighten that bubble yep. where people go to just what their exclusive audience is. But still, to this day, local news is in all things to all people kind of a broadcast, and um, it's one of the hardest things about our business, uh, quite frankly. But that was simply the premise of, of how and why I do it the way I do.
0: I like I like that, and you know, you talk about the 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 acknowledgement of this guy is the best so let me do something different because i you know i heard a piece of advice from someone else who was also in television uh, back in the 90s and he said you know if you can't be the be- if you know flat out unequivocally that you can't be the best for whatever reason you've got to be different and offer something to the audience that they've not seen before but also doing all the basic stuff so that way they keep coming back. Because otherwise, you're just going to fall short over and over and over again, and you're never going to make an impact. No,
1: I mean, it's exactly right. It, 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 it's somewhat like, you know, I, we all want to win the gold medal. Right. I mean, we do. Uh, but there's not a great deal of shame in being the second fastest person in the world. Right. Uh, I, there, 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 there's no shame in being the third fastest person in the world. Right. Um, There is in the minds of some people for some sick reason, Um, but it's like, you know, there's really no shame in in losing the Super Bowl game, because it's like the great argument to me. You know, they say, oh, yeah, that, you know, the Buffalo Bills, they lost four Super Bowls in a row. Oh, my gosh. I said, really? And I, I would always say, I said, so you're saying Buffalo just can't win the big game. And they said, well, no, obviously they can't win the big game. What about all those other teams? Apparently, they could even win the little teeny tiny game, <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> Just to get to the Super Bowl. Now, again, you want to win it. I'm, I'm a big believer in winning. I think winning's important. All that stuff. But I've never understood why we attach a, a stigma of shame right. to some because they are the second or third or fourth best especially when you start talking about like in the world or something. Yeah. And it's the same thing in my business. I mean, there, there, there's no shame. And in, 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 at least there wasn't in 1980. Um, I, I didn't feel any shame if I was considered the second best sportscaster on TV in town. I, I was okay with that. Right. Um, now, you know, again, we all want to be considered number one. We all want to get best, <laughs> excuse me, the best ratings, et cetera. Um, but I just absolutely knew that that I could never even even get the silver medal. Yeah, I uh, forgive me. I just came back from California. My allergies to <laughs> Texas. Uh,
0: the allergies are strong uh, here I in Texas. <laughs> that,
1: that, that I knew I could never ever even get the silver medal if I was solely going to be just like the guy who had the gold locked up. Right. I mean, he had it locked up, and and. Um, Now we started to make some inroads, you know, different audience measurements, however you want to start counting them up, you know, well, okay. Then it got interesting for a while. And, and then of course, when I went to Channel 8 in 1983, Vern was still there, but he was in the process of heading to, uh, uh, to CBS full time. But, but then again, I changed, you know, I, I changed my approach, not, not everything, not, (coughs) not the basic core principles of how I was doing it. But when I was being interviewed by, uh, by the great news director, Marty, Hay, and he said, well, you know, what would you do if we hire you down here? And I said, well, I, I wouldn't be as crazy, um, uh, on a regular basis. I mean, you get Jerry Orr for that, you know, but on the <laughs> nights, that Jerry or is not doing something crazy then I'll probably step up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still going to do some of that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to do all of it because I knew I was being introduced to an even larger audience. Um, you know, Vern had this built-in audience of all these hardcore sports fans. I didn't want to. I didn't want to turn them away. Right. And I actually got criticism from some of my followers um, who, who, for whatever reason, seemed to really like me at Channel Four, followed me to Channel Eight. They said, well, you're not. You're not nearly as crazy as you were at Channel Four. And I said, Well, I, I, I hope not. <laughs> and then I people. At, at channel eight the, the the baked in viewer right and they would write and say oh well you're not nearly as crazy as i heard you were uh, so i probably lost a, a few people along the way but i think i also picked up a few etc and again it's all about uh trying to reach the the biggest slice of the audience you can i i i do take a uh, as arrogant as this might sound but, but marty Haig said it to me one time and it was one of the nicest things any person in management has ever said to me but he, he did he said, he said you you just have a remarkable gift for knowing your audience he said I, I, he said I, I think you're one of the very best i've ever worked with that understands and knows how to reach an audience yeah and, and i think for whatever reason i've always been able for the most part to do that um, i talk to people i i read about our industry i read about what's on the minds of people etc and um And I also figured out a long time ago that there's no such thing as appealing to everybody. Right. There's no such thing as satisfying everybody. Uh, So I don't try. Uh, I've never tried. But I do think I'm pretty good at what would appeal to most of the people. What would appeal to at least enough of the audience to, as you said earlier, uh, make me stand out, uh, separate me from the pack. I, I, I think I've always had somewhat the ability to do that. And most of it I learned uh, at the feet of the great Danny Livingston in Omaha, Nebraska. because He he was so, I I swear to you, Joe, he was light years ahead of his time. Many of the same principles that he taught me in 1978, I still use today. I still insist upon him today. Um, You know, the, the business has changed. The way we present sports has changed. The sports cast itself has changed, but many, many, many of the same principles that Danny was laying down as, as, as the law, the rule in, in 1978, I still laid them down to my guys here. Wow. Um, because the, the, he he was, he was ahead of his time. I mean, he was legitimately uh, ahead of his time. And I just happened to be blessed that, that, um, I got hired to work with, I still say one of the truly great minds in, in local television news and, right. uh, and he was willing for whatever reason to share his information with me. And the one thing I did was I was smart enough to listen to it. Right. You know, I, it, it's a bit of a problem that a lot of us in my business have, um, you know, like the state TV stations always bring in consultants, for example. And I don't know of anybody who wants to go listen to a consultant, you know, it's just like <laughs> now, I mean, you know, the old adage of those who can do those who can't teach. Right. right. Uh, it's a little harsh to teachers, maybe, but it, but there is some, unfortunately there is some truth to that. Right. But the difference is teachers can teach you a great deal. Yeah. No, they I teach everything. So I've always embraced the opportunity to meet with a consultant, for example, um, and I, I tell them right up front, I, I'll probably reject more than half of what you submit, but I am looking for that occasional nugget. Yep. And and there's been quite a few of those over the years as well. That uh, uh, because despite what some people might say about me or think about me, uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm pretty open to uh, to the criticism. I'm pretty open to to learning how to get better each and every day. Right.
0: I you brought up. You brought up something that I never had noticed before, but resonated with me. You talked about qualifying, like Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, former Mavericks player Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, those are things that I, I I recall them, but I didn't ever recognize that you were giving me the cheat sheet as your. T- presenting it to me to be like, so I never have to go, is this a Rangers player we're talking about? Is it a Stars player? You're like, no, no, no. Rangers pitcher, yada, da, da da And that does make me feel like instantaneously, I know what's going on. I know who the players are. I know what I need to know. And I feel good moving forward with that information. Um, I want to one thing that obviously you're known for is the, is blending, you know, whether it's uh, some people say, get politics out of my sports. I'm using the air quotes right <laughs> now. Right. But I think in we, Me? Me? <laughs> I think we, uh, you know, speaking as white men here in Texas, I think we historically have been like, oh, um, well, I've got my sports and I don't have to think about things. I go to sports to check out and not yeah. worry about it. But yeah. But it's part of our lives, it's part of our day to day. And for a lot of different people who don't have that privilege, it's ever present. So, What were some of the first motivating factors for you to start having these conversations more extended with what became the Unplugged segments, but these more extended talks to bring a full life perspective to sports?
1: Well, actually, it's very simple. Uh, It was the SMU investigation in Mm -hmm. 1986. Um, Prior to that, and a lot of people tend to forget this, um, I I was basically uh, your, your standard cheerleading sportscaster um I, I i wore the cowboys hat for good luck for the cowboys sure. uh, i made bets with other sportscasters in other towns yeah. that my team will beat your team and we would bet a pair of cowboys boots against a shipment of you know philly cheesesteak sandwiches right. or something. Like that. um but I, I was you know I, I was at one of my first nfl games i was in st louis and uh i was in the press box and i was jumping up and down it was just a great game Tony Dorsett made this ridiculous run for a touchdown and I'm hollering and having a great time. And this big old burly, uh, newspaper guy looks at me and said, Hey, buddy, are you a sports cat? Or he said, are you a journalist or are you a cheerleader or a fan? Rather? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. Matter of fact, I am. And the same thing happened to me in Atlanta when, when Drew Pearson caught two touchdowns in the last quarter of the game to beat the Falcons. I'm in the end zone. I could have knocked both of those passes down. And I'm jumping around in the back of the end zone and hollering and having a great time. And uh, and I had a guy say the same thing. He said, hey, buddy, are you, know, are you a, re- a reporter or a fan? I went, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly what I am. And I was until 1986. Um, and, and then I took that hat off and I've never really put it back on. Uh, I... I my 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 life just changed the way I viewed sports. Yeah. Um, the 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 implications and the 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 impact that the, the politics, if you will, of sports and how it was impacting so many young people and um, in, in that particular case, and it wasn't because of that, that let the politics, but but you know the governor of the of the state is involved. Um, the universities are sacrificing their integrity to win a football game. I mean, all of that and it, it it just changed the way um i looked at sports and at that time when we did the um when we did the smu uh, story in, in uh, november of uh, 1986 somewhat surprisingly uh marty hage said to me why don't you write something and um let, let's put a bow on this let's let, let's have you Let's have you wrap it up in a bit of a commentary, Mm -hmm. which I had kind of dabbled in a little bit, but nothing of any real significance. Um, Anything that was like a commentary prior to that was, you know, sports related. I mean, totally sports related. Um, And this one was as well, obviously, but it it, it did enable me to kind of dip my toe into that end of the pool, if you will. Right. Um, and that was really kind of the first one I remember, and I, I just saw it recently for some goofy reason. And oh my God, I was horrible. You know what I mean? You could, you could almost see it uh, that, that that I was out of my comfort zone because I was, I was taking a hard, straightforward position, which up until that time we we weren't supposed to do. Right, right. We, we're both sides of the story kind of a guy. You know? right. Well, we're now spelling out a story that we're we're just flat out saying that they cheat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, we, that We couldn't do that story. Well, but maybe they don't. You can't do that story. <laughs> you know, we think they cheat. Maybe they don't. They couldn't they deny it. I mean, we gave them the opportunity to deny it. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Right. But but you watch that story. We were We were simply advocating beyond any doubt SMU's cheating and we know they are and here's why we know they are. Mm. And I think it was a natural extension but then I put a bow on it at the end and, and, and uh, my opening line that I just saw a couple weeks ago was uh, um, we have called this we have called this uh, a, a national sports tragedy because it is. Mm. Um, and, and, and I just kind of jumped off from there and talked about you know what this is going to mean to these young people going forward. What it's going to mean to the reputation of the university uh the impact that it was going to eventually have on the southwest conference i mean all of that. all of that and i think that was really kind of the catalyst um uh, because somewhat surprisingly it was very well received not by people at smu of course <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um and then i wrote another piece and this was kind of funny i wrote another piece uh, around that same time about texas a m and And in particular, their football coach, Jackie Sherrill. And I called him a disgusting human being uh, for for the comments that he had made and and the things that he had said and done. And then I closed the commentary by saying, uh, my problem is, uh, I'm just one of those crazy liberals from the 60s uh, who believe in what Bobby Kennedy used to say. Some men see things that they are and ask why. I see things as they could be and ask why not, mm. which I just love that quote. Yes. Just love that. And John McKay, the news anchor at that time, came up to me with, oh, my, you, you can't say that on the air. I mean, it's Jackie Sher. He's the head coach of one of the largest universities in the state. He said, you, he said I'm just telling you, Dale, you're in big trouble because you cannot call the head coach of Texas A&M a disgusting human being. And I had his racist comments that he had said to me directly, right. why I did. And <laughs> the very next day, the great Dave Lane, seriously, the greatest general manager I've ever had the pleasure of working for in my 50 plus years, just an unbelievable human. being. Um, Dave Lane called me into his office, John McKay sees me walking by and he said, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to get suspended. I, I hope they don't fire you. And I walk in and Dave Lane has a copy of my script and he wads it up and just fires it at me when I walk in his office. And he goes, did you say this on our air last night? I said, well, I mean, obviously you've seen it. Yeah, of course. He said, what were you thinking? What were you possibly thinking? And I, I looked at him and I said, well, I, I think he's a disgusting human being. He goes, oh, no, no, you proved that. I you, I got no problem with that. You said that you're a liberal and you quoted that- bobby kennedy on our air you quoted bobby kennedy on our air (laughs) and i had much much the reaction i started laughing yeah i'm like that's your problem right you can't tell people you're a liberal i went well okay which again was a big taboo back in the day right
0: right right. supposed to
1: keep all our politics secret etc right um and i said well i didn't think it was that big i'm a sportscaster it's not like i'm yeah, I, I think it, I think it'd be one thing if I was, you know, covering presidential elections and I'm advocating that so and so is a crook and so and so is a great guy or whatever. Right. But <laughs> he was so angry that I quoted Bobby Kennedy, and so I walked back into newsroom and McCase. So what happened? What happened? I go, ah, it's fine. I said he loved the uh, he loved the uh, disgusting human mini line. He said he's really upset that I quoted Bobby Kennedy, <laughs> and. Uh, I i love that story. I mean I I, I swear to you that's a true story. And um it, it they they were my biggest supporters, Marty Haig and Dave Lane. And and again, these are two men that were were basically the foundation of WFAA, and, and certainly uh news. The reputation of WFAA was unparalleled um in the 80s. Yeah. Late seventies through the eighties, nineties. I mean, the, the WFA's ratings were just out there by themselves, and then everybody else grabbed for the breadcrumbs. And it was all because of the leadership of Marty Haig and Dave Lane, and and they they hired some of the most talented people in America. I mean, Scott Pelly was a guy. You know, I mean, Scott Pelly was a guy that was in our newsroom, lobby day to have the lead story at ten, but he was a guy. Right. He then ends up on 60 Minutes and CBS Evening News anchor and, and uh, Peggy Weymeyer on ABC and Peter Van Zandt on CBS. These were just reporters to me. They were just guys that, oh, okay, yeah. And they were. You know, we were winning awards of, of the highest levels. And, and yet these two men who, who were, Dave Lane said to me several times, he never wanted to hire me. And Marty Haig was pretty sure that he wasn't going to hire me. Um, but then as he said, when I when I had my interview with him, he said, I expected Hansen to walk in with two loaded pistols and hand grenades strapped to his belt. And instead, this man kind of thinks it through a little more than I thought he did. Mm. And they then decided to hire me. And and then it went from hiring me to becoming two of my biggest cheerleaders and supporters now i gave them a lot of acid indigestion over the years and uh, uh we had some come to jesus meetings on occasion um but there's just not two men that i uh in management i'm talking about right uh, that i've ever respected and and uh and cared about more and it's the only thing is that you know they're, they're both they're both gone now they're both dead now and uh if i had any if i have any regrets and i don't have many, because i accept the reality of the cycle of life but man i wish dave lane and marty haig could have been around for you know the michael sam commentary the ellen oh the the my retirement etc i mean i i just wish i could have one more soda pop with those guys and thank the opportunity they gave me because um it, it was uh it was a it was a pretty big upset yeah that i would get fired in omaha come to dallas get fired in dallas and go to the best local tv station in the country yep and it was an even bigger upset uh, i i got a 13-week contract 13 weeks <laughs> and they had to type that one up special because nobody gets a 13-week contract and I said to, uh, I said to uh, Marty, Hey, you can make it day to day if you want. I said, I, I really, if you, the day you don't want me here, just tell me I'm gone. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not virgin territory to be right. There were days during that 13 weeks that I, I was pretty convinced I wouldn't make it. Yeah. I would make it. Uh, cause I was different in a lot of ways. I was, I was more demanding, whatever. And, um. And then 13 weeks became a one-year contract. Uh the one year contract became a three-year contract. The three-year contract eventually became a 10-year contract. Um, and it's just been a remarkable, um a remarkable 38 years. Yeah.
0: As we're starting to wrap, one of the one of the fondest memories I had was Getting drinks with you after the news one night um, at the—I uh, don't even think it's there anymore, right there. Um, uh, Havana's. Yes, that's right. It was Havana's, um, and you just were sitting back and giving advice and giving perspective, and I'll never forget that. So thank you for that. But as we're wrapping, <laughs> is there one piece of advice or perspective that you would like to impart on the listeners as you're as you're you know closing this chapter of your life and moving on to the next one?
1: Well, really as simple as it sounds but i don't think people do it enough is that uh, laugh every day mm. you know um try to find something to laugh about every day um and, and enjoy every day i mean i i I've, i i think the, the the basic mantra if you will that, that that i do follow and i do believe in a great deal there was a, a, a Steven Spielberg movie years ago, uh, bridge of spies, mm-hmm. uh, starring Tom Hanks. Yep. And it was a true story of, of, of the, uh, Russian spy, Rudolf Abel. Um, and he was on trial for treason. They eventually replaced, uh, made a prisoner swap with Russia, um, for Francis Gary powers, the, U do pilot, well in the movie. And I don't know if the line in the movie is legit or not. If it was an actual true, uh, characterization. But as soon as that line hit the hit the screen, I my whole life started to change. I mean, it really, really did. And, and the, the the line is simply this: Tom Hanks was the lawyer um, uh, Donovan, and he looks over at Rudolph Abel, and he says, "You know, you're on trial for treason, and you're probably uh, going to get the death penalty. They're, they're going to kill you." And he says, uh, "You you don't look worried. You don't look worried." And Rudolph Abel looks at him and says. Would it help? And wow, I love that. So you go through the movie and they reference it a couple of times and they get to the end and they're making the the exchange on the bridge. And Tom Hanks looks at Rudolph Abel and he goes, what do you think they will do to you when they get you back in in their custody? He goes, well, if they put me in the front seat, I'll be fine or whatever. If they put me in the back seat, then that means they're going to kill me. And he goes, are you worried? And he goes, would it help? <laughs> and I swear to you, I live that every day. Hmm. I didn't always live that way. But I do think it's one of the things that I've learned later in life. And I, 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 I while the lovely Mrs. Hanson will tell you, I don't always live up to this day. I, I find something to be happy about every day. I do more than my share of grumbling. I uh, I hate driving on thirty five. Who doesn't? Uh, if I never drive on thirty five again, it'll it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've got mirrors in my house. You know, I know what I look like now. I don't have any hair left. Uh, you know, but I I don't worry about those things. I accept the reality of the evolution of life. That took me a while to get there, quite frankly. Um, but I simply accept the reality. And I really do think that I, I, I manage to find something to be happy about every day. I, yeah. I manage to laugh about something every day. Some days are harder than others. Um, some days I may not find
0: it.
1: Yeah. The next day I try to find two. But I really do tell all my friends and I tell all the people that worked with me, we don't. We don't need to 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 get into a position of beating ourselves down and and worrying about all the problems that we think we face. Because the bottom line is, would it help? Right. You know, if if I really thought that worrying about being seventy three and being fat and bald would somehow <laughs> fix it, I'd worry like hell. Right. <laughs> I'd worry like crazy. Yeah. If I really thought that the newscast and the ratings would be better and and I would be better if I could just work myself into a a, a lather being so concerned and worried about it, I would worry all the time mm-hmm. but doesn't so I now I kind of go in, I write the show, a guy goes, "Oh, hey, we've lost the tape, really? Hey, I'm mad that we've lost that tape or. Uh, the highlights didn't come in right. right. Yeah. Okay. All right, don't worry about it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk around it. We'll, you know, whatever. And uh, they said, and then, uh, I've got a young editor now, Taylor Williamson, and he's like, you know, I, I appreciate that. But he said, I, I've heard stories that it wasn't always like that. Said, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I used to throw the typewriter through the newsroom. I used to kick over the trash cans. I, I used to up in my desk and scream and holler. And I'm screaming and hollering because a sports cast screwed up, and, and I still do it. quite. I mean, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't go to that extreme, right? But I, I'll be on the air and they roll the tape wrong, or they roll in the wrong tape, or you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm just living. You know, I'm just living because I, I still have not as much as I used to, but I still have that pursuit of perfection every day. That's be perfect not good happy perfect right and but now it, it takes me about 30 seconds and i'm done with it you know it just you know nobody dies right not bro you know nobody dies uh we screwed up the sports cast we ran the wrong tape i i gave the wrong score i misidentified the player uh you failed to do your job for whatever different reasons i'll bark at him a little bit and say we're not going to do that again right but that you're you going to fix that yeah, yeah, all right, We're done now. We're done, and, and I think it it took me longer than I wish it would have. Yeah. Um, but I know for a fact that once I found that way to, to live, um, you know, everything's fine. I mean, I uh, I worry now, you know, about uh, well, again, I don't worry. but I'm saying I, I think now about what what's it going to be like in retirement when I only get like one check a month, right. and all of a sudden, Ooh, there is no second check in the middle of the month. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at my bank account. It's not quite what it used to be. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that a lot, but I, I swear to you, I don't worry about it. I mean, I just don't, maybe I should, but I just don't, uh, because as I try to say to the lovely Mrs. Hanson a lot, cause I think she worries about it. I think she legitimately worries about it. And I try to say to her, would it help? Right. I mean, if you sweat yourself into a ladder, worrying about how we're going to make ends meet now that I'm no longer making a decent check, would that somehow create more money in the account? Mm-hmm. If so, get to worry about right. it. <laughs> get to worry. Yep. But you know, I mean, I am the guy that that you know. If we find out a couple of months down the road that we don't have enough money, I will be the guy at Walmart telling you that hamburgers are in aisle seven. <laughs> you know, I mean, or or you know, when you drive up, I'll say, "Do you want French fries with that?" Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll figure out something. Yep. You know, yep. figure out something. And uh, uh, but I do. I I laugh a lot. And I don't worry about anything. I really, really don't. And uh, uh, it doesn't mean that I don't have issues in my life. It doesn't mean I don't have problems in my life. It doesn't mean that everything's perfect in my life. It's just not. Um, But I know it makes me individually better. It makes me feel better. And more importantly, I think it's better for the people around me. That was my biggest problem when I was younger is that i was so demanding i was so pressured to to make everything exactly right to to just push everybody as hard as i possibly could because i knew i was willing to push myself right i i I wish i would have learned this zen attitude yep uh, earlier in life
0: no that is solid advice and something that everyone can, especially with everything going on in 2020 and then 2021, could definitely definitely use. Well, Dale, if folks want to follow you and see what you're up to, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, um, that that might be kind of hard for right. a while. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I, I have no plans. I, I'm going to shut it down on September 2nd, be, be my uh, last show. Um, and I honestly don't know. I, I think I'm just going to detox um, for a couple of months. I like it. Uh, I have had a lot of offers to do much like you're doing now of, of different podcasts and the like. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I will have an. E- I think it's. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure. I haven't even set it up yet, but I'll have an email of um, Hanson8248 at aol.com. And I love emails, and, and uh, uh, I, I've had a lot of people ask me. and, I think that's going to be the email. I could be wrong about that. But um, uh, I hope, uh, I've got a lot of friends, people I've never met that email me constantly. And we, and they're always amazed because I answer every email I get. That's I true. Mean, every email I get. Yeah, you know that. Yeah. Uh, I just think if someone takes the time to, to write me an email, I have an obligation to take the time to write them back. Wow. When I wrote Michael Sam commentary a few years back, uh, I received more than 6,000 emails. And I answered every one of them. Personally, answered every one of them. Now it took about three to four months, right? But I finally worked my way through all of them, and then people finally people say, "Hey, I can't believe you answered me! Oh, that was so fantastic!" Well, great, I appreciate it. And then I write about it back. Not a problem. No, <laughs> yep. oh, wait, but now where this. Yeah. And then Bonnie would get me like, "Okay, unless you have a question, no more, no more emails." Sure, you know. um but yeah, I, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm hoping, quite frankly, to. Um, if the virus will recede, and I'm not sure that it will, yeah. um, but I'm hoping to be able to get back on the banquet circuit. I've missed that a great deal this sure. past year. Yeah, uh, I I love public speaking. Uh hope to make a dollar or two at it, quite right. honestly, on occasion. Um, but as I've told you, I'm the guy and this is prior to 2020, obviously, when the complete shutdown hit, but I I did a lot of Uh, uh, speeches, a lot of public events. And usually I'm driving there maddering a son of a gun. You know, I'm just so incredibly angry that why did I agree to do this on a Saturday and whatever. But as I've also told people, as soon as they laugh at that first joke, it's like somebody just shot me in the arm with drugs that I don't know where you bought them but give me more. Right. I, I have never, never can I imagine that there's a drug that would take me to as high a place as someone laughing or crying uh, during my speeches, depending on the crowd that I'm talking to. You know, sometimes they're crying when I'm trying to make them laugh. That's a whole <laughs> other uh, I love public speaking. And, and, and with 2022 coming up, back to something you said earlier, um, I've had a lot of offers over the years, um, uh, over the last few years, uh, to speak at different uh, rallies at different uh, candidate forums. Uh, oh, yeah. The Tennessee State Democratic Convention wanted me to fly into wow. Nashville, and obviously I couldn't do it. Sure. That, that that crosses that line, but I can do it now. Yep. So if anybody's watching this, I, I'm not going to speak on on behalf of um, uh, individual candidates. You know, my, my my concern is is that you know you might think you're endorsing Beto O'Rourke, and you end up turns out you're endorsing Matt Gates. Sure. Uh, <laughs> You know, so yeah. I doubt very seriously that I'm, that I'm going to be willing, even if they want me to, um, to, to endorse a particular candidate, but I promise you what I will do is I will endorse what that candidate supposedly believes in. Right. I will endorse the issues surrounding that particular campaign. And I will fire that crowd and have them flying out of their chairs when they're done. Yep. Um, and I've done that on occasion. I've done that kind of stuff on occasion. And, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping to, um, uh, I'm hoping to get back to that. But, you know, since we're a little bit concerned about the budget, if somebody has got a rotary club meeting in March and they've got a free chicken lunch, uh, I'm, I'm probably willing to eat it, Right. Know, uh, I'm going to need all the free meals I can get.
0: Right. No, oh, this has been fantastic. Well thank you again, Dale, so much for your time. And listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D T A L K S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys.
1: Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's v-o-k-a-l-now.com.